0: Hello, welcome to another of our European Crucible podcasts, where I talk to people who've been involved in the hugely successful European Crucible project, a little bit about how they got involved, a little bit about where they're going next, but mostly about the projects that they've come up with between them as part of participation in European Crucible. Today, it's a project, well, you'll find out the details as we go along, but it's to do with improving water quality and measuring water quality. It's a very interesting collaboration of people. Let's start by getting each of them to say a little bit about who they are and what their work is outside of Crucible. And we'll start with Fabien.
1: Hello, Quentin. So I'm Fabien Massabio, I'm French. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Strathclyde. And uh, I'm a mostly a microscopist working on a range of materials, but mostly semiconductors. And more recently, my work has been focusing on um, wide-band gap semiconductors for ultraviolet applications like the wonderful gallium oxide material we are proposing in the project. Okay. Next, let's hear from Natalie.
2: Hi. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a researcher and a teacher at the University Sorbonne Paris Nord, so it's just north of Paris. My main subject of research are nanoparticles, so metallic nanoparticles, and their interaction with light. I'm using them to make some sensors, especially to detect contaminant in water. And in this project, I'm giving a hand. Uh, to, to make better detectors with gallium
0: oxide. So, I can already see a lot of common ground between the first two people in the project. Let's see how it applies next as we go to Nuria from Luxembourg.
3: Hello, thanks, uh, Quentin. So, my name is Nuria and I'm from Barcelona, but I have settled with my family in Luxembourg. And I'm an experimental hydrology and I work at LIST. So LIST stands for Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology. My overall work, it deals with a better understanding the movement and the distribution of water and particles. So I work with both water and particles at catchment scale.
0: So, Nuri, it almost sounds for the first three of you here, having spoken to several people on several of the other European Crucible projects, after you've heard from two or three of them, you're thinking, how on earth did they find common ground? But you three are quite the reverse. It's almost like, why aren't you already working together even before Crucible? You seem to be so much in the same territory.
3: Well, it was not so easy. actually, it was Fabian who connected me with William and Natalie. and actually, I discussed with William and Natalie during the speed dating in the during the workshops, and we didn't find common ground, I think, at the first uh, side. And then it was actually Fabian who was a missing piece that connected me with the work of William and Natalie.
0: Yeah, maybe I should have said common ground water rather than common ground. Well, let's see how the last member fits in William.
4: So yes, my name is Will Pevler. I'm a lecturer in the School of Chemistry at the University of Glasgow. There's more commonality here as well because my research is in molecular engineering. So we build new molecules and new nanoparticles for sensing applications, and part of that is medical diagnostics and, and trying to build new ways of detecting uh, liver disease. We also do work trying to study whiskey and how we can make and and measure whiskey more accurately and more quickly. And the third strand of that is also on on water technologies and how we can measure the safety and the quality of water quickly and accurately with our molecules and our nanoparticles.
0: I. No, it's not central to our discussion today, but I cannot help having a personal interest in this, asking more about the whiskey part. When you say measure whiskey, you can't obviously measure the taste of whiskey, can you? But you can measure the
4: strength. Well, so we're, we're very interested in measuring the taste as well. And actually, that this kind of idea of artificial olfaction or artificial taste is a kind of key part of our work, although it's early days. But actually, what we've been doing recently is measuring the aging of whiskey. So if you put it in the barrel and it has to sit there for a long time before it becomes good, I guess, or at least aged? Can we measure how efficiently that process is happening? And can we maybe get to good whiskey sooner?
0: Right. It's that science art interaction, isn't it? Because you you can do something and go, I've had X number of years in this quality of a barrel in these kind of conditions, but it still might not taste as good as a whiskey that was made in a much more haphazard way.
4: Exactly. Can we find out if there are unique molecular signatures which contribute to what people enjoy, or is it more of an overall experiential thing?
0: Anyway, let's not get distracted by the whiskey. It's the thing you put in your whiskey. Some people water, which was going to be the main focus for today. But I want to have a little bit to start with about how you each got entangled with Crucible in the first place. How did you find out about it? And Will, we may as well start with you.
4: I heard about it through an internal email, I think. So nothing very exotic, but just uh, one of those round robin emails. And I thought this looked like a really uh, a good thing to to try and sign up for. I really wanted to improve my links with Europe. I've worked a lot with people based in Europe before, and I just wanted to build a, a bigger network across across the European continent, I guess.
1: Uh, Fabian. In my case, I, for, uh, I joined the European Crucible from word of mouth, in fact. Um, I had a colleague who, at that time, was in the same position as I was, just uh, a bit more senior by a couple of years. And um, he was telling me how good the Scottish Crucible was. At that time, there was no European Crucibles yet. And uh, how interesting that was to bring together some... Um, artists, some uh, chemists, some material scientists, some social scientists, and bringing them together in a room in order to create some uh, pretty cool and exotic uh, project ideas. So um, I followed this advice and um, applied for this crazy program. And hey, look where it's got you. Uh, Nuria.
3: In my case, at that time, I was a junior PI of a project that was funded by the Luxembourg National Research Fund. And the coordinator of, uh, of my program, she encouraged uh, all the junior PIs uh, funded through this scheme to apply. And that's how I learned about it.
0: Okay. And finally, Natalie.
3: So I have a very good friend in University
2: of Glasgow. And she had gone through the Scottish crucible She's that kind of good friend who told me, apply. And I applied, I must admit, I didn't know what I was applying for, but uh, I'm so happy that I applied.
0: So happy, right. With hindsight, what was the biggest surprise? Because you all clearly had a bit of an idea what it was going to be like, except maybe Natalie. But when you actually got there, what was the bit that you went, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this.
4: For me, it was, we all applied pre-COVID. And so actually, there was this big change when we sort of got our acceptance onto the scheme that actually there was a big rejig of how this whole thing was going to work and how were we going to network sort of more virtually in early 2020.
0: And I think it was the same for the organisers as well, we have to say. They were expecting it to be a physical face-to-face event, so it very much was a question of do we park this for several years until we're through COVID, or do we try and do it online? Which, of course, the latter succeeded.
3: For me, what I was most surprised for, it was how much people was engaged I mean, everyone was uh, fully into it. And actually, it ran really smoothly. It was super well organized. And I think that the main goals were achieved, even if it was online.
1: Fabian? Maybe being on the more pragmatic side, what was surprising me the most was, in fact, the the speed dating. Um, That was a very, very uh, productive session, but at the same time, so usually stressful. Because we had this two-hour session where we were meant to meet literally everyone. And that meant two-minute slots for discussing with each person, and uh, I did really like it. But um, that was very, very surprising when it happened. It's one of the most daunting
0: aspects, isn't it, Natalie? Because you beforehand you, you're suddenly told you're going to have to talk to everybody briefly, snappily, and interestingly, and you're almost going to be judged because on the basis of that they might choose who's going to end up in the groups with you. But it seems to be a very efficient way of getting a lot of people to know a lot of things about a lot of different disciplines.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, I remember that when I had the schedule, so before the first meeting, I saw that the very first part was each of us had to present us in one slide, I think. I thought it will be so boring. I mean, I'm used to this kind of thing and usually it's boring. And it was so much dynamic and exciting. It was really great. I think one of the power of this crucible is that one of the selection is based on the fact that people are curious and want to work with other disciplines. So every one of us were like, okay, we are not from the same field, but let's learn about each other. And this was really great and interesting, really.
0: Fabian, when did you begin to think, not just
1: these might be people you want to work with, begin to focus on what the project would be? Uh, that was probably after the, the speed dating session, actually. Um, typically, after everyone got introduced to each other, I remember contacting Nuria, Natalie, and Will, but all separately and for very different projects. For example, I was contacting Nuria in order to monitor water quality. And I also contacted Natalie and Will, but for investigating how we could put nanoparticles on the material I'm investigating. So that's only towards the probably towards the end of the Christopher, in fact, that we decided that how about we blend everything together and we combine all these uh, sub projects into one bigger project. And Natalie,
0: what was the goal when you actually began to realize what you're working on? What were you thinking, like, this is our objective?
2: So I'm working on the interaction of light with nanoparticles, but visible light. And this idea of using nanoparticles to make sensors in the UV was something that, okay, I can go forward and this could be something in my research, a natural evolution of my research. So yes, I was happy to participate this project.
0: And Nuria, was it quite quickly that gallium oxide became front and center?
3: (laughs) Well, they all had to explain a lot of things before I could really understand how they were doing their work and how I could fit in. But I'm somehow the final user. So for them, it makes sense because I do use the existing sensors in the market. What I could bring is like the experience of somebody that uses it and what I miss, which are the shortcomings, and they are the ones that can improve the technology somehow.
0: And Will, what is it you're trying to displace? What's out there now that this would be better than?
4: So there are commercial units that do some of this kind of uh, optical spectroscopy underwater, effectively. They tend to be very big, very expensive. You couldn't put tens or hundreds of them across a river catchment area to sort of monitor in lots of different places because it would just be too cumbersome. So I think what we're aiming at here is something small, low cost, miniaturised, using very, very robust technology that you can get out there and get lots and lots of measurements.
0: And presumably if you can get something that's cheap enough and reliable enough, other people will begin to find new uses for it that even you didn't
4: anticipate yourselves. Exactly. I mean, I work with a lot of different spectroscopic detectors in my work, but they all tend to be based around one particular material, which is silicon. Um, And so actually this opportunity to work with a a new detector and a new kind of range of light, i.e. up in the UV, is quite exciting. And there's huge applications for this beyond water. But that's where we've landed at to start with.
0: Natalie, take us through what the finished idea would be. What would this detector be able to do?
2: So first of all, it would be a low-cost detector, so something that is accessible to anyone. It will be something that is quite small and handable, so it's possible to carry it everywhere uh, near the water. And the main idea was to work on the sensor itself. So all the CCD camera. Nowadays are made with a semiconducting system. So the idea of Fabien was to use gallium oxide. What we find in the literature is that when you add some nanoparticles to this gallium oxide, you can enhance the sensitivity of this sensor in the UV range. So the idea was to be able to make something low-cost so that you can handle, and that you can go even further than the actual spectrometer that. You can find in
0: labs. And Will, is it a case of water quality good, water quality bad, or do you get the whole range of information? Is it monitoring that you have to do face to face or is there telemetry involved as well?
4: by working in the uv range there's a particular set of uh, ions and particles that we're interested in detecting in the water and nuria can probably explain a little bit more but we're we're looking at nitrates uh, we're looking at dissolved organic carbon and we're looking at the the scattering from actual particulate matter uh, in the water and uh, at the moment, we haven't we haven't hooked telemetry up to these things yet because we're still at the proof of concept stage. But absolutely, that's where we'd like to get to is is these things are can operate remotely without being held, or you could dip them over the side of the boat and be hanging onto it. Something flexible, but crucially very sensitive in the UV and and into the near visible range um, to detect the sorts of things that that need to be detected.
0: So is it thinking too big to imagine that you could one day have thousands of these things in every little stream and river everywhere so that you're constantly getting updates of water quality and you know immediately if there's been some sort of contaminant and probably what that contaminant is as well?
4: That's what I would like, but whether that's (laughs) realistic or not, I'll let the others decide. (laughs) Nuria.
3: Yeah, definitely. There are already currently these types of sensors in the market. What we are aiming to do is to optimise the technology. So ideally, we would aim to reduce the cost and the availability of these kind of sensors and, of course, uh, install it in as many places as possible or even use them in water treatment plants and, as William said, in many other applications.
0: Fabio, the potential of this seems enormous, but I'd also imagine you're not the only
1: people working on this, are you? Hmm. Uh, well probably no actually but um, one of the unique aspects of our project is, is still the fact that we we're working with gallium oxide in fact and uh, because that material has been emerging only very recently and only the first few years of development essentially have been focusing on proof of concepts, how to grow the materials and also feasibility study of devices but always tested in the lab and one of the I think strength of our project is essentially to test the capability of the material and also the suitability of nanoparticle enhancement with actual water samples and by doing so i think we're making good strides into um, pushing forward the technological readiness level of the technology
3: can i add like maybe one of the competitive advantage that we could have if we managed to get funding is that we could we can do things in parallel so in, on one hand we're developing the detector but on the other hand we can start prototyping because we are an interdisciplinary team
4: I think that was one thing that really came out of the crucible and I was involved in a few different crucible projects but this is the one that's got the furthest because everyone was ready to go Fabian had this rare and quite exciting material natalie and i had access to the tools to make the nanoparticles that we needed to try out and nuria had these samples that we could test right away so we were able to pull the whole thing together really in a matter of weeks
0: so you've got off to a flying start where are you now i mean you seem to be somewhere in that proof of concept stage and what's the biggest immediate hurdle in front of you
3: scientifically or practically because practically we need to get funding
0: i like the fact that you have scientifically and practically as being exclusive categories (laughs) hopefully science can be practical as well but carry on
3: yeah well i think that uh yeah the next step is definitely to get funding to be able to develop further the idea so we are working on on writing proposals on trying to identify different calls and see where our idea can fit i think it's also a different exercise when you are an interdisciplinary team than when you really focus on your discipline so a lot to learn there as well.
4: I think we've done pretty well at sort of understanding each other's language and bridging some of these divides in understanding. But yeah, to keep working on that is, is a big thing. Really to take what we've demonstrated and get it out there into the world, so to get it published and peer reviewed and everything else. But as Nuria says as well, to get the money to carry on and actually take this forward.
0: Now, one thing I wanted to raise, having spoken to some of the other groups, they've got catchy names. Have you got a catchy name yet?
4: I don't know. I, I I call this project UV Go, but really? I don't know if everyone else calls it that. You see, this could be an important role of this podcast
0: in establishing a name for yourself. Shall we go with UV Go, unless we hear otherwise?
3: Yeah, maybe. Sounds good.
0: Why
1: not?
3: Yeah, UV Go. Here
2: go. Yes, we need to think about it, but here go is good.
0: <laughs> okay, good. We like that one as well. Coming back to the. Crucible. Finally I just want to bring us back to what your overview of, of your participation in European Crucible has been and what you'd say to anybody else who's thinking of applying for some future manifestation of it. And we'll start with Fabian.
1: Well I I have a very positive experience obviously. Um I would be very curious to see how the Crucible would look like um in uh, in the future when it's fully on site because uh, obviously we, we've done the, the crucible online where all the events with dating and so on were spread across uh, several months so i'll um, be very interesting to see and to, and to feel how how it is to um condense this whole experience into just two or three days and um yeah in conclusion i would strongly advocate that crucible to any new researchers actually who is curious to investigate the remit of its research slightly outside of their own comfort zone
0: nuria
3: yeah I, I agree for me It was a really good opportunity. I was really surprised and it was kind of a booster. So I was super excited after work and I had many ideas of collaboration and it was a really enriching experience. Maybe one of the reasons was that there were excellent researchers involved, and it was impressive. And I think that it has given us the opportunity to collect proof-of-concept data, and this is something amazing because it's actually what you need if you want to get extra funding. And it also gave us the opportunity through the little project that we got afterwards to prove that we are a working team, that this is the most difficult part. So we met in a conference, we liked each other, and then we started with the project, and we built little by little confidence. And I think that we are a working team now. And you may
0: be addressing a significant global challenge. I mean, that is a great achievement if you can get there.
3: Definitely. It's exciting. I hope, uh, yeah, that uh, that in the future we can continue our research. And I, I think that we are all in the mindset that we want to stop until we get funding.
4: Good. Will? I would hugely recommend the crucible to every researcher. I did the Glasgow internal crucible and then the European crucible and that meeting of different minds, I think is you can learn so much from that. I think the other thing is a good opportunity to take a, a day or two or a few days out of your day-to-day job and all the other concerns and really focus on research and networking and learning new things and learning new skills. And that can be hugely valuable and very hard to find time for amongst everything else that we have to do all the, all the rest of the time.
0: And it's also true, isn't it, sometimes that the very act of having to communicate about your research to people outside of your own immediate discipline can give you a fresh insight into what it is you're doing and what your challenges you face are.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Trying to distill down what I do day to day into 30 words or less, it does make you focus and it does make you think about what's important.
0: Don't think I didn't notice the use of the word distill there as well, you see, and I see it coming in. And Natalie?
2: Yeah, I agree with all what I've been said. So this is an amazing experience. It's dedicated for mid-career researcher, and it's interesting because it means that you have already started to build something. But sometimes when you arrive at this stage of your career, you lack some international collaboration and it's quite difficult to meet other people. So this is a brilliant opportunity and it really helped me to broaden my horizons. Uh, and to meet new people and to build this project. Have you managed to physically meet up all of you? We have met up once in Glasgow and it was really great. I love this because we already knew each other. So suddenly to, to meet in person, it's like meeting someone that you have seen on TV and uh, suddenly you see everyone. So Fabien organized everything. Uh, we went to Lomond. Really great experience.
4: There are three new babies since this project started.
0: This, I hope, isn't as a result of the meeting at Loch Lomond. No. (laughs) (laughs) Already celebrating some great results in their personal lives and looking on course to do so in their professional ones, That was the team which, as of this podcast, are collectively known as UVGo, namely Dr. Fabienne Massabuo, microscopist and senior lecturer at the University of Strathclyde and now father of Aran and Aurélie, uh, Dr. William Peveler, lecturer in the School of Chemistry at the University of Glasgow, and now dad of Zoe, so Aran, Aurelie, Zoe, that's an A to Z of babies. We also heard from Dr. Nuria Martinez-Carreras from Barcelona, but based at the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology, and Dr. Natalie Ligi-Gigi, nanoparticle researcher and teacher at the University Sorbonne, Paris North. Hope you found that illuminating, insightful, and as clear as the water that gets top results in UV ghost testing. If you did, there are four other podcasts in this series, so go seek them out.